podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, a podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and non-sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I say that all the time, but I'm not kidding. Go check up some of the people that they have as hosts on their show. I am your host, Philip Slavin, for this show, the 10-12 Podcast. Thank you for joining us on a midweek episode. Yeah, we've missed a couple Mondays. We're still getting some scheduling worked out. Bear with us, please. But I'm going to make sure you are hearing from me at least once a week and the guests that I am able to line up for each show. Speaking of guests, three today. Lee Cothran hosted the Pin 12 podcast. Pin 12. It is a Big 12 wrestling podcast. Lee is one of the co-hosts of that show. He's going to join us to talk a little Big 12 wrestling. You guys need to check that show out. He does a fantastic job covering Big 12 wrestling. If you're a fan of Big 12 wrestling, be it Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, West Virginia, Northern Colorado, Wyoming, Air Force, Cal Baptist, check it out. Also joining us today, Colin Post, former 1012 Network podcast host and covers the TCU Horned Frogs for 247. Going to talk about the national championship game, talk a little TCU men's hoops. And you know him as Scott Wildcat on Twitter. He is the host of the Bosco's Boys podcast, the leader of the Boneheads, the Kansas State podcast for the 1012 Network. He's going to join me and Colin. We're going to have a little Mike Miles versus Marquise Noel debate as far as who should be the leader in the clubhouse for the Big 12 Player of the Year as it stands right now. Before we get to those things, we say it on this show all the time. Fans is short for fanatics. Y'all are crazy, and I love you for it. You're diehard. You hate the teams you hate, the lovely teams you love. You will suffer through agonizing seasons because you are fanatics for your programs. And rivalries in the Big 12 are stronger than the national media wants to give them credit for, even if they don't get the viewership numbers of Red River. We're going to get Sunflower Showdown and Men's Hoops next week, and it is, folks, the anticipation is bubbling. You can taste it. All that said, to the Big 12 fans on social media, specifically Twitter, who said you'd rather have Baylor's 2021 season over what TCU did this year, Good heavens, I am getting high off those fumes. You got blown out in the national championship game is not the flex you think it is. Look, I love a good rivalry. I do. And you should be proud of what your team accomplished. But you're fooling yourself if you wouldn't be psyched to win a playoff game, let alone get to one. Laugh at the result all you want. That's fine. But don't stand outside the party talking about how bad it is when you can't even get in. Seven teams have won a college football playoff game seven in all of the fbs don't act like you wouldn't love to be on that very very exclusive list also about the tweet that i put out baylor fans knocking an opposing team's quarterback in this case old mrs quarterback in the sugar bowl last year out of a game is not a point of pride either congrats on the defensive performance i'm not knocking it but don't be thrilled that you entered another player 
If you play a team and their backup has to play three quarters of a game, then you beat a team playing their backup quarterback. That's not revisionist history. That's the bulk of the game. That's not trashing Baylor's 2021 season. I'm not going to do that. It's an incredible season. I have argued with Baylor fans that it was the best season in program history. It was an incredible year with a Big 12 title and a Sugar Bowl trophy. I'm not downgrading that season. You should be proud of that season. It's an incredible season. I would love to do that season. Everyone in the Big 12 would love to have that season. He just made a dumb argument. But of all the fan bases who tried to come at TCU on Monday night and uh, day subsequent of the national championship game, I saw OU fans trying to get, trying to puff their chests. Goodness, goodness me. Your team tried and failed to win a playoff game how many times? And Texas fans, uh, who's the team to beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl after the 2018 season, four years ago? It ain't the same thing. Nice try, though. Good job. Bravo. Look, I'm not here to defend TCU's performance in the national championship game. It was all-time bad. They got buzzsawed. It was actually worse than the lambastic Notre Dame took against Alabama some uh, few years back. We will never forget this game, and not in a good way. Georgia's really good. Like, Georgia's um, really, really good. Really good. But look, TCU got there. And until your team does too, let's not act like you're on some higher plane of existence as a fan base because your team hasn't been skewered and roasted on an open fire on national television. Now, all that said, make this final note. Feel free. I, 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 I encourage you. I invite you. The next time game day is at a TCU football game. The next time a TCU football game is televised, which will be week one of the season against Colorado at home, take some signs wear some shirts that just have that final score on them. It's a little little twist of the knife for TCU. Because, yes, they won a playoff game, and they were proud of that, and that was awesome. But that final score is going to hurt a little bit for a while. And what else is college football for? What else are rivalries for and fans for, if not to just twist the knife when you get the chance? Just a little bit. Have fun with it. Just don't make dumb arguments, because I'm going to call them out. We are going to do a 2023 way too early, way, way too early power rankings. I said that I would. I'm working on it. I don't think we're going to do a 1 through 14. We're probably going to do it in tiers because we just need to start drilling into people's minds now. There has never been and will never be a season like the 2023 football season will be in the Big 12. You have four brand new teams incoming, two teams in their final year in, a TCU coming off of a national championship berth. It is going to be absolute insanity. It's going to be incredible. The drama is going to be so high. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So we will do it way too early power rankings. I just want to make sure I do it. Look, it's going to be subject to change by the start of spring football and post-spring football and Big 12 media days and the week before the season starts, but we'll do it anyways. But I want to get a few more notes set aside before I undertake that. I do want to do a little hoops power ranking. Uh, let's do this. We'll just kind of uh, touch notes on a few of them and, and roll through the rest. Number one in our current Big 12 hoops power rankings. I'm putting Iowa State there. I'm putting Iowa State at number one. Iowa State now has two of the five double-digit wins in the Big 12 this season. Out of 20 games, five have been won by double digits. And Iowa State has two of them. And not just two of them, they have the two biggest margins of victory. 15 points over Baylor and 34 over Texas Tech. Now look, Texas Tech's not good this season. You're going to wait a minute before you hear their name called again. But you beat Texas Tech by 34 points. 
Oh, and they're one of 10 teams as of Wednesday at the time of this recording with four or more quad one wins. They're number one. Pulling it at number two, Kansas State. Wildcats have the best scoring duo in the Big 12 in Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. They're good. They're winning close games. They're 4-0. This is a damn good team. Number three, Kansas. Fog Allen is inevitable if you watched the game against Oklahoma this week where Oklahoma led by 10 points with just over five minutes to go and Kansas went on an almost 13-minute scoring drought and still found a way to win. Jayhawks have overcome double-digit home deficits twice this season. That's why they're third right now. Uh, number four, Texas. Chris Beard is gone. Rodney Terry doing a very, very good job in their place. That team is playing very well. Those are the four teams in contention to me, especially after Texas came all the way back from 18 points down against TCU on Wednesday night. I'll put Texas at four. TCU, that team that we just mentioned, they're at five. Mike Miles is fantastic. A legitimate candidate for Big 12 Player of the Year, as we will talk about more here in a bit. Baylor is at six. And I know they just got their first win of the season against a West Virginia team that we've got ranked lower here. But I still believe that this is a good Baylor team. There's not a lot that separates six, seven, eight in this list. I think Baylor is good. I think they'll be all right. Oklahoma at seven. Man, close. Close. Almost got their first win in Fog Allen in Lawrence since the 90s. And they'll keep waiting another year. Oklahoma State at eight. It is arguably the best defense in the Big 12. It is one of the two best. There is no argument there. It is the worst team offensively. I believe Kim Palm's ratings as of Wednesday when I checked had Oklahoma State as the 11th best defense in the country and the or 7th. I The number I recall was 114th on adjusted offense. It's not good. West Virginia at 9, Texas Tech at 10. Four games in conference play, Texas Tech has 69 turnovers to only 39 assists. Something is wrong in Lubbock. Let me know your thoughts on our power ratings, power rankings. I always forget which term I should use. I'll just go with whatever. I'll try and do this on a regular basis. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter at 1012network, T in the number 12. The word network, our DMs are open, or you can just tweet at us. That's fine. You can email me 1012podcast at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on everything I have to say here. Happy to talk, happy to discuss, happy to debate. Bring it on. Leave us a rating and a review. We would appreciate it. It's been a little while since we've gotten one, especially on the old Apple podcast app. It does help the show out, and I would appreciate it if you wouldn't mind. Before we get to our interviews, Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever wear. Longest running sponsor here on the 1012 podcast of the 1012 Network. If you're a first-time listener, you don't know about Homefield or you have heard us talk about them but never gone, now is a perfect time to do so. Why? Because it's always a good time to go to Homefield Apparel and get an incredibly comfortable sweater or a hoodie because it's cold and the coldest month is February and so you should get your order in now so that you can be rocking a fantastic vintage logo for your favorite Big 12 school because they have every current and future Big 12 school available at Homefield Apparel right now. They are more than 100 schools. P5, G5, FCS, Slippery Rock. I got a Slippery Rock shirt. How can you not buy a shirt that's a rock in a pimp coat with a pennant? One of my two shirts with a school mascot in a pimp coat with a pennant. Fur coat? Is pimp coat not a word we're supposed to use anymore? I don't know. I don't know if that's an appropriate phrase anymore. If it's not, let me know. I'll drop it from the nomenclature. 
We'll just drop it for that. It's just it, it, you know when I say that exactly what I'm what I'm saying. It's an easy visualization. Fur coat could be a couple other things. Pimp coat, you get it. That's enough about that word. Home build apparel, go shop now. Save fifteen percent off your first order with the promo code Network Twelve N E T W O R K One Two. There are many promo codes. We would prefer you use ours or one of the promo codes from a show in the network. Everyone's got one. Network 12, 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever find. This college basketball and soon to be college baseball and college softball season. I can't wait to dive into softball. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I also cannot wait to dive into these two interviews. Lee Cothran up first. We're talking Big 12 wrestling. Then Colin Post to talk TCU football and TCU hoops. And then Colin Post. And Scott Wildcat to debate Marquise Noel versus Mike Miles for leader in the clubhouse, a Big 12 player in the year. Let's get to it. We are deep into Big 12 wrestling season. Well, college wrestling season as a whole, but certainly in the Big 12. Had a nice weekend last weekend, the Big 12 doing good work against the Pac-12, Oklahoma State over Oregon State, uh, Iowa State over Arizona State. A lot of success so far on the mats. Joining us today, the host, or one of the two co-hosts of the Pin 12 podcast, one of the most cleverly and awesome podcasts named. And if you can't tell from it, it is a Big 12 wrestling podcast. Lee Cothran, uh, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me again, Philip. I appreciate coming on. And anytime I can talk uh, college wrestling and especially Big 12 wrestling, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I mean, that's why we started this podcast so pin 12 to get some more coverage of the the awesome 14 programs in the big 12 i mean you've been talking and covering osu for a while uh, on your show but you uh you and your co-host who's uh covers iowa state on the side you'll forgive me for not remembering his name i'm very sorry to him uh you guys the show started this year and i'll let you plug it here for a minute uh it is it is really good if you are a wrestling fan if you're a college wrestling fan if you're a big 12 wrestling fan you guys do an incredible job covering a, a, a big conference that many people probably don't realize has a lot of teams you don't realize would be in the Big 12. For sure. Yeah. Sam Phillips uh, at Slam Phillips on Twitter. Um, he writes for Wide Right Nighty Light uh, and has been for a few years. And he's got a real technical mind and, and, and expertise on wrestling and how it evolves in a match and what can go right what can go wrong where do guys lose so he, he's been a great uh person to talk about this stuff with because um you know i can get high level stuff but when we start talking about move names and things like that i i tend to get pretty uh, lost in the weeds but uh he he's an iowan living up in minnesota and he gets it he's he's all in on wrestling uh um like i am but yeah the big 12 has been great i mean it, it's coast to coast from california baptist university to west virginia university University. Um, the Big 12 covers a lot of space and uh, a lot of really good programs that um, you wouldn't necessarily think are uh, Big 12 or even D1 programs. You know, the, the Dakota schools, North Dakota State, South Dakota State are both in the Big 12 for wrestling. Uh, those two schools played in the FCS National Championship last weekend, right? So they've got a lot of good things going for them and they're they're really good at wrestling too there's a lot of good things going on and something happening in the dakotas i think something's in the water or in the wheat i guess <laughs> that's good honestly at this point i'm so used to those schools being in the conference what's weird to me is the addition of a program all the way out in california in california baptist meanwhile uh, the University of Arkansas at Little Rock is a Pac-12 school. Someone's going to have to. We talk about the weirdness of of 
college football realignment. Someone is going to have to explain to me how an Arkansas team is in the Pac-12 and a California team is in the Big 12. Yeah, you know, there's politics in play there, right? Uh, the Oklahoma and Iowa State and Northern Iowa's and Missouri's of the world weren't too keen on uh, Arkansas Little Rock with their Oklahoma State head coach and, uh, and a lot of Oklahoma State influence joining the um, Big 12. But uh, Cal Baptist, as they moved up into uh, D1 from uh, D2 in wrestling, they, and, and that's a, a, you know, athletic department wide move for them um, moving up from FCS or, 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 I'm sorry, from D2 to D1. Um, they have, have uh, less influence, right? Like it's just, it's one of those things. They, the PAC 12 didn't want them. They've got Bakersfield and Cal Poly and some of those programs in their conference for wrestling. So um, they didn't want the the Lancers there at, in Riverside, uh, but uh, the big 12 took them on and uh, kind of replaces Fresno state who dropped the program. Unfortunately, who to thunk it politics and college wrestling folks. It exists everywhere. <laughs> Uh, Lee, mm-hmm. let's talk a little Big 12 wrestling so far. I mean, for those who follow the, the Big 12 loosely or whatever, obviously everyone knows Oklahoma State's been the, the dominant program in the conference for some time, uh, has won quite a few national championships, I believe 34 to be total, uh, and quite a few conference championships. There's just still a solid program this year. But the program to really keep an eye on the one that I think should be the favorites heading into uh, when we get to the conference championships uh, is Iowa State. Um, they have been... The program's been building and improving, and really these last couple seasons, they have really turned things on and have been very, very impressive. Absolutely. Iowa State is by by far the favorite in the conference right now, top to bottom, all 10 weights. Uh, they're very competitive. Uh, they unfortunately lost their 125-pounder for the season, but they their backup is a, a pretty good young wrestler that's going to step into that role and uh, take that opportunity. So um, beyond that, they have a – couple of national title contenders at 165 pounds this year. David Carr's moving up from 157 pounds. Um, they got Yonger Bastida, the uh, Cuban uh, uh, expat who is competing for the Cyclones up there uh, at 197 pounds. He's number three in the country now. And he's, uh, if you're going to sit down and watch any wrestling at all this year, uh, Yonger Bastida is, is pretty close to appointment. Uh, watching because he's always exciting this past weekend he wrestled uh, uh, a really interesting match and got down uh, by a lot but still found a way to win by 13 points the 24 to 11 uh, wrestling match which in college wrestling nowadays you don't see that many points put on the board usually it's a a six to four type of score so uh, like exciting electric high scoring sports then now, younger Bastida at 197 pounds is your guy for Iowa State. Um, beyond that, uh, Missouri and Oklahoma State are still probably the, the other two uh, favorites um, come championship tournament time, uh, just because they're deep. They have a lot of guys on their roster that are uh, very, very good. Uh, Oklahoma State not quite as good as usual. Instead of having guys ranked from you know one to 12, it's more. Uh, 12 to 20. So it's a little bit different for the Pokes this season as they're continuing to build for uh, better things here in the next couple of years. About about to sign another number one recruiting class to go on top of their 2020 number one recruiting class and their 2021 number uh, six 
recruiting class. So uh, Oklahoma State's building things up. Uh, Missouri's deep. They've got a sure thing, uh, or a, a pretty close to a sure thing national champion at 165 pounds. So um, they're really exciting. And then Northern Iowa is a lot of fun to watch. Beyond that, uh, Oklahoma is ranked. They've had a really solid season so far. They almost won Bedlam earlier a few weeks ago, which would have been the first time since 2014, I think, that they uh, would have won. Uh, but Oklahoma State came back in pretty dramatic fashion. They'll wrestle again here in February. And then uh, West Virginia had a big upset over there, our tribal Pittsburgh, in the backyard brawl here this past weekend. Um, big upset win for West Virginia going into Pittsburgh and, and winning their 141-pounder uh, knocked off the number one wrestler in the country at Pittsburgh. So uh, it's a really competitive league, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of talent uh, top to bottom. Um, as mentioned, the Dakota schools are both really, really good. North Dakota State uh, knocked off Nebraska earlier this year, and uh, South Dakota State um, – South Dakota State – went to the wire with Minnesota, Northern Iowa beat Ohio state in a duel. So um, look, big 12s here and it's really, really, really solid. Uh, it, it's competitive with the big 10 pretty much top to bottom. It's just the big 10 has Penn state and Iowa. And those two programs are uh, kind of head and shoulders above everybody else right now. It does feel like well, the big 12 has been solid. Oklahoma state's been good. Um, Iowa state's been good. Missouri jet back in the Big 12. They've been really good. But it does feel like the Big 12 this year is deeper even than it has been in the past. I mean, it, Northern Iowa, North Dakota State, South Dakota, they've been solid programs, but they feel even better this year than in the past. And West Virginia is a program that has struggled. They're 6-1 and one right now. You mentioned them, them knocking off Pitt. Like, it does feel like the bottom of the league and the middle of the league especially is the strongest it has been in quite some time and has really elevated this conference as a whole. Absolutely. I'd put the bottom of the Big 12, uh, the bottom half, head to head with the Big 10 and expect most of the Big 12 teams to win. I expect Air Force to beat a program like Purdue, quite frankly. Um, and that's that's great. And you're absolutely right. There is a lot of depth in the conference. Um, the recruiting is really picked up. Oklahoma wrestling has gotten a lot better uh, over the past five or six years, which has really helped, um, you know, the Oklahoma schools, but also um, uh, Cal Baptist, uh, Northern Colorado, Wyoming, they've gone into Oklahoma and recruited some of the guys that aren't getting picked up by uh, OU and OSU. Um, and they've gone and made meaningful impact at these other programs. Um, Iowa State and Northern Iowa, uh, they keep Iowa kids in state while Iowa recruits kids from Pennsylvania and Ohio. So, you know, it, it's uh, the, the talent level in high school in the middle of the country has really risen Colorado is another state like that where there's a lot of talent coming out of Colorado right now. Um, and they stick around. They go to Northern Colorado. They go to uh, Wyoming. Northern Colorado is probably going to have a national champion this year at 141 pounds. Andrew Alirez. Um, he is, he was an all American last season. Uh, he's from Ponderosa, Colorado and wrestles for the bears there. And he's been great. Uh, very, very, very competitive um, wrestler and, and somebody who's going to be looking to finish on top of the podium this year. And um, you're absolutely right. That's from, from top to bottom. It's very good. Um, it's not just Oklahoma state running it anymore, uh, which as an Oklahoma state fan uh, is kind of annoying, but um, it's, it's good. Cause you know, 
uh, rising tides raise all ships, right? So uh, it's it's better off this way. It'll make Oklahoma State more competitive in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's a good thing. Iowa State sitting at, uh, like we talked, they're uh, I believe nine and two. They've had some really good, they had a really close matchup with Iowa and that Hawkeye matchup. Um, we've got an Oklahoma State matchup later this season against Iowa at Iowa to end the regular season for Big 12. Like the other thing in wrestling is you, the top 25 teams, the top teams, they often play each other. There's no hiding from each other in wrestling. They, they all want to compete for the most part. You're, I, there's a few programs that are like, nah, we're not going to deal with that nonsense. Uh, I know there's some big 12 OSU issues, but, uh, Iowa and Penn state, Minnesota never seem to have any issues. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, there's a current, um, not to not to shed too many negative things on the sport, but there's a current issue with guys uh, medical forfeiting out of um, early season tournaments, which is a, a bit of a stain on, um, you know, matchups that we should be seeing. It happened uh, in the Southern scuffle in Chattanooga this past or uh, on New Year's Day and in, in the second um, where guys would get into placing matches and they'd uh, forfeit out to protect their ranking, protect their seed one they got to a certain position, they were like, I've, I've gotten the feel that I need to feel, so I'm going to sit out. And that's unfortunate. Um, we're seeing that happen. The Big Ten seeing that happen a lot in the Big Ten tournament, which is a, a real problem. So, um, you know, that's that's a that's a topic that um, gets a lot of play. I'm not going to solve it. I'm not smart enough to <laughs> figure that kind of thing out. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of conversation about how do you make the sport more exciting for people? Uh, how do you make duels um, the premier, you know, option in the sport? Because people cheer for the, uh, the name on the front of the singlet, right? It's mm-hmm. not so much about the individuals, um, you know. So there, there's a lot of interesting debates going on in the sport right now with competitiveness. But, uh, um, yeah, you're right. Iowa and Oklahoma State, they wrestle every season. Um, I, Oklahoma State wrestling Michigan, who's a top five uh, program. They're wrestling them in Arlington, Texas, at the Battle of the Ballpark again. They're they're doing that in a few weeks, so um, that'll be another fun one if you're in, uh, you know, North Texas. Uh, make it out to the ballpark uh, was always a fun time. Globe Globe Life Park or Field, whatever yeah. they call the new ballpark. <laughs> I, the, the the giant uh, one that's obviously built for a wrestling match. Yeah. Um, the 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 new ballpark in Arlington. I, I I've uh, lived here my whole life. I don't know what to call it. I know that there had been talk at one point. Uh, look, this is just we're just gonna chat with some of this. Like of you know the NCAA tournament the way it is, it's just matching up players' rankings, and so you're kind of keeping track of who's which teams have what scores, and it gets. For the people who don't follow recruit like wrestling, it's it gets complicated and convoluted, and you're like, okay, I don't understand. Like, why do we have this many? And so someone placed third, and and I know there had been talk, and obviously it hasn't gone anywhere of of doing it more of we mat we rank the teams and we match the teams a little more you know march madness style the way we view sports of matching this team versus this team and having two teams meet as opposed to the way that it's currently formatted because you can you can sell Iowa versus Oklahoma State more than you can sell a long list of names that everybody who doesn't necessarily follow the sport as much would recognize yeah so uh, that's an interesting debate i I love the idea of a dual national championship, but you sacrifice the individual championship because th- no sport has two championships, right? So it, it, in like, I know there's indoor outdoor track and there's cross country and distance, track, but that's a whole different thing. Those are different sports. Um, yes. They're, they're different sports, of course. Um, but the, um, 
So you're not going to get two championships. So the, the question becomes, well, how do you have like a bull season for college wrestling in duels, right? Uh, that would probably work. I know they tried it in the past, but then it got to a point where they were having the duels in between um, uh, the regular season and then the conference and national t- tournament and uh, Penn State stopped going because they had the big Penn State Oklahoma State duel in Gallagher Iba where, you know, 14,500 people showed up and, and were in the building and Penn State lost one of their best wrestlers in that duel. He broke his ankle and was out um, for the tournament, you know, so um, it was too much of a risk. So Penn State started to sit out of it. Iowa refused to wrestle Virginia Tech for some strange reason. I don't still don't understand that. Um, but, you know, it's so, so they th- there is an idea out there that they can do it. Um, and I think it could work if they make it less big 10 versus everybody else and more just matchups and, and rankings and finding, you know, ways to, to have those duels happen as in, in call it a cha- champion. Right. Um, but uh, the, the national tournament as it stands, I think I said this last time I came on your podcast, but the national tournament remains Friday night, especially remains the most exciting event in sports because uh, you have, um, 330 wrestlers and you're narrowing it down to 30 wrestlers aren't on it. Not even, you know, uh, it's, it's not a lot of guys become all Americans and that Friday night decides who's going to be an all American. And you have the accumulation of these guys, whole lives laid out on one arena floor. And it is uh, everything you love about sports. It's, you know, the uh, passion, the emotion, the, thrill of victory, the misery of defeat, just all of it is, is right there in one place. And it's a four hour thing. And it's, uh, it truly, if, if you have, if you have opportunity to go to a national wrestling tournament, even if you're not a big wrestling fan, if you can make that Friday night session, it is worth every penny that you'll spend on a seat because it is truly, um, just one of the best events in sports and, and it, it plays out well on TV as well. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I'd hate to see that go. Um, you know, that's why I love the sport. I, I went to the tournament one year, my dad and I went to the tournament one year and it just hooked us in because it was thrilling. It was just one of the most exciting events in sports that I've ever been to. And I've been to, I worked in the NFL. I worked in the NHL. Um, I'm an Oklahoma state guy. So I've, <laughs> I've witnessed a lot of painful <laughs> things, but uh, um, you know, I, I've been to a lot of big events and, and nothing really compares to that Friday night at the NCAA wrestling championships. And I, I'll, you know, take that to, I'll, I'll take that against anybody. Right. I'll, I'll make that argument. If you can experience it, you'll, you'll be hooked too. Uh, NCAA championships this year will be held in Tulsa, the BOK center, March 16th through 18th. So if you're near Oklahoma or near Tulsa and, uh, and Lee here just sold you on checking that out, that's where you want to be. Uh, Lee, I don't want to keep you too much longer. We're going to try and get you back on a couple more times before we get to the NCAA championship. Um, I want to, let's, let's do this now. Let's ask big 12 tournament. We're still a few weeks away, but if you had to pick right now and we know it gets wacky there. We've we've seen some unexpected results last few seasons. I mean, it feels like Iowa State would be the favorite, but if if give me kind of a ranking of like the team you think is most likely, and who would you view as maybe the next couple most likely usurpers of Iowa State? 
Yeah. Well, OU keeps surprising us at the Big 12 tournament. I feel like Lou Roselli has some massive incentive to peak at the Big 12 tournament into his in his contract. So uh, they keep having good uh, Big 12 tournaments. Uh, I, I'm not going to bet against them this year and say they're not going to finish in the top three or four. But uh, um, frankly, looking at the individual uh, lineups and, and the number of potential point scorers, um, I, I still kind of have to go with Missouri in the Big 12 tournament because they've got the number one wrestlers at both 165 and 197 pounds. Their heavyweight is uh, a very, very solid wrestler. I think he's number like six in the country now. Um, their 149 pounder is number nine. Their 141 pounder is number seven. Their 125 pounder is number 12. So they've got a lot of uh, depth, um, you know, top to bottom. Um so I think I'd still have to go with Missouri. Iowa State is certainly going to be right there. And then Oklahoma State has the talent. If some of these guys can put a couple things together, mostly mentally, and then stay healthy, Oklahoma State's always going to be in the conversation um, just because, you know, it's it's Oklahoma State. It's the um, premier program, and not only in the Big 12, but in college wrestling. And um, they've got uh, top to bottom, you know, all, all of the guys were top. I think seven out of 10 guys were top you know, 20 national recruits in their respective classes. And uh, they've got a couple of dominant guys in Dustin Plot and uh, 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 Dayton Fix. So um, if, if a couple of the other guys step up, then Oklahoma State's definitely in the conversation. But they haven't shown that to this point in the season. So you kind of got to go with Missouri and Iowa State at this point. And I think it's going to be those two battling it out. And then everybody else trying to figure out how, how the rest of it stacks up. Uh, like I said, OE is going to be there. West Virginia has got a good chance. Air Force has some guys that are really, really good. Um, and then, of course, the Dakota schools, Northern Colorado, Northern Iowa. So it, it's uh, it's going to be a really competitive and, like you said, really wacky tournament uh, more than likely this year. And that's part of what makes it fun. Everybody do yourselves a favor, if you're not already. If you're on Twitter, go follow at pin. 12 pod p-i-n one two p-o-d that is the twitter account for the pin 12 wrestling podcast go give the show go subscribe check it out lee you guys do an incredible job there uh i'm not kidding like you do a great job like if you were if you guys are fans of big 12 wrestling you just didn't know this podcast existed this one is for you uh we obviously like i said you're not part of the network hint hint nudge nudge yet <laughs> uh yeah well we're working on it man i i'm i'm working on getting my social media better uh i'm i am over 30 so social media confuses and scares me um, <laughs> no 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 i'm i'm but i'm we'll, pushing we'll 40 i don't want to hear it okay no 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 uh lee you do a great job man you do a great job covering oklahoma state as well as the big 12 keep it up and i look forward to having you back on the show bud thanks so much philip appreciate you having me on and uh and thanks for all you do for the big 12 in general I'm Sam, and I co-host the Scott Holm Podcast, the known universe's first Houston Cougar sports podcast. Every week, even during the offseason, my co-host Dustin and I come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs, and every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices, and as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well, if all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it if you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P-A-W-D cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing 
if not big dork. So thank you and go Cougs. He covers the Horned Frogs for 247 and is a former podcaster here in the network. We're thrilled to have him back on the Horned Frog beat and joining us here on the 1012 podcast, Colin Post. Welcome back, sir. Philip, appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Always love talking with you guys. Uh, longtime friend of the pod. Just because you leave doesn't mean you're not still family. You know how, how that works. Uh, <laughs> appreciate that. So obviously it was a uh, it was a big big week for you uh, getting to go out. Not I mean past couple weeks have been really big. Obviously uh, going to see TCU in the Big Twelve championship game. Uh, TCU taking part in both the semifinals over Michigan and then of course the national championship. I mean as a as a, a fairly long time TCU fan. I mean look I get it. This is a it, I don't think anyone's going to argue this is probably the best year in TCU history. If you want to argue the undefeated win over Wisconsin Rose Bowl season, that's fine. But winning a playoff berth to me tops that. I mean, just from your perspective as a, as someone who covers TCU and as a fan of TCU, and how how do you how do you grade and gauge this year as as awesome as it was despite the final game of the season and and dropping the Big Twelve championship game? How, how do you gauge this year? Yeah, Philip, I think a lot of people we'll look at this season, especially if you're not a fan of TCU. And I think a lot of people on my Twitter feed, maybe in the Baylor circles are going to want to point out a couple of things. They're going to say TCU <laughs> didn't win the big 12 title game. They didn't win the Heisman trophy. And then they got killed in the national championship. And so, but I, I think it's more important. What you were saying is that, is that yes, Rose bowl was awesome. It put TCU in a, in a national perspective that had never been done. This put TCU in the national perspective. And I think it has been an unreal year for the school of TCU, much less the athletic program. I mean, you think about something like 31%, I think is what I read, of applications of students who are early admitting to TCU. It's just crazy numbers are going up. They, they've got a $40 million facility on the way. First team in Texas to ever you know, go to the CFP national title game. I mean, to go to CFP at all and then to make the title game and representing the big 12. And you just think about all that TCU did for not only themselves as a football team, but for their athletic program, for their school, for their state, for their conference, it was enormous. And I don't want to hear anything about not winning a trophy. They have a really nice multi-million dollar Fiesta Bowl trophy that they won. So yes, it was very hard to not get, any, get some of that hardware. That I think TCU would have loved to walk away from when it comes to the season but to do what they did under a first year head coach was just outstanding and I obviously TCU is not does not ever going to have the same national consideration as some schools because they are a private school that only has 10,000 students but this was a step forward that I think has put them in a league above their state rivals from Waco when it comes to recruiting and national brand and so Overall, just was an awesome year, and Monday night was really hard, but this was something that will have repercussions in the program for a really long time to come. For TCU fans, how do you set expectations moving forward? Because obviously this is a huge season. And right. I've been a college football fan long enough to know that you have a great year and fans start to kind of 
this is this has become the new standard, right? This is what we should be. We've, we've grown to this. We've built to this. And I know this is a different situation with the first year coaching staff here in Fort Worth. But we've built something here. We should be able to sustain this and continue this going forth. Um, we've seen in the Big 12, and I think it's the perfect example of, uh, of we'll talk about this when we go over uh, kind of way too early power rankings. I mean, the, the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma has not seen a consistent top second team or top team outside of Oklahoma over their years until Lincoln Riley left. It's just no one has been consistent. You look at TCU this season, senior heavy program, a lot of experiences leaving. Yes, I know what they're doing in the transfer portal. Yes, I know the talents on the roster. Yes, I know how they're doing in recruiting. But I mean, I, I, how do you set expectations as a TCU fan moving forward? Is this TCU should continue to hum along Maybe not get obviously not you know expect a national championship berth every single, but continue to be a contender to the top of the conference, or where I afraid I might be leaning at the moment is TCU this year's is TCU is to twenty twenty three what Baylor and Oklahoma State were to twenty twenty two and 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 as we've seen the team who has also made the championship game the last few years, seeing this is even a drop off because they relied so heavily on senior laden rosters or situations. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of great points there, Philip. Obviously, what TCU did this year, winning as many one-score games as they did, I mean, they won something like seven or eight one-score games, a lot of which I believe they were trailing late in the second half. And so I think a big argument was maybe, you know, TCU could have easily not been here this year, much less next year when you lose, you know, the, you know, the best one of the best wide receivers in the country, Heisman runner-up, best running back in the Big 12 outside of B. John Robinson, ton of offensive line talent, you know, you're losing so much and you, you know, you kind of got lucky this year. I think a lot of people will see things that way. And so obviously you're right. Uh, but I think a lot of people treat this as a binary thing. It's either, Oh, you can't expect the national title this year. So you should expect to be, you know, bad again, or, or, you know, go five and seven again. And I think the threshold is a lot higher, just not as high as the national title. I think TCU moving forward should expect, to be one or two, and probably one when it comes to recruiting in the new Big 12, at least for the first couple years. And that sets an awesome precedent for them when it comes to just the the brand they have within the conference. It won't be this elite-level, multi-Heisman winner, multi-playoff appearance level that Oklahoma got to just because of the size and, and brand that Oklahoma has. But in the new Big 12, TCU has no reason to not win at recruiting every single year. And what they did this year has even aided that even more. And so I think you're right is that recruiting is not everything. And you got to think about next year first. Uh, Recruiting doesn't really help next year quite as much. But I think the portal does a lot more. And TCU will retain a ton of talent on this roster, especially defensively. I mean, we're talking about double-digit guys who started a defensive game for TCU this year that either are coming back or probably will come back. And so you're right, Philip, that the expectations shouldn't be a national title, but it's not national title or back to five and seven. I think TCU can absolutely win eight to 10 games next year. And going forward, once Oklahoma and Texas leave should absolutely jump on an opportunity to be one or two in the big 12 every year going forward for the next decade. That's, that's been the thing for the Big 12, looking back. And I think the, the cutoff date I really go to is that 2007 when the Big 12 title game came back is mm-hmm. the, what the reason it's been so hard to predict is 
there's so many close games in the Big 12. The team that has the two teams that have the best, you know, one score game records are the ones who are making it to Arlington. And that is not a thing that is easily repeatable year over year over year. And it's a right. hard thing to predict. You, I mean, I, I want to do a deep dive this offseason and kind of see if we can find some similarities between 2017 TCU, 2018 Texas, 2019 Baylor, 2020 Iowa State, 2021 Oklahoma State and, and, and Baylor, and then TCU and Kansas State this year and start to look for, is it just senior heavy? Is it playing? Is it snap count? Is it What is it about these teams that have helped them in those seasons? They've achieved that number one, number two status at the end of the year heading into Arlington that has allowed them to be so successful in one-score games? Because that seems to be the indicator. That's just a very hard thing to predict. Now, your point on TCU not seeing a massive drop-off, I think that's fair. I I understand what TCU is bringing back on defense. I think some of the pieces that TCU is losing, we can talk about the, the names in the portal that are coming to TCU. I don't think Max Duggan is going to be an eat someone you just swap someone else into and expect right. to continue to succeed at, at, at the same level. I don't think losing someone uh, like, like Quentin Johnson is to say, well, we'll just bring in another talented wide receiver. Yes. But I, I do the do th- the thing for me for TCU, at least for next year. Yeah. I don't expect five and seven drop off, but I do think realistic for TCU fans, like the idea that things are just going to keep humming at the same level you have to set realistic expectations based off of Big 12 history and as we have seen going back to when the title game came back. And when I said 2007, I meant uh, 2017. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I totally agree. I, I do think what we have seen from this particular coaching staff is that they are able to take guys and convince them that they're as good as people believe them to be or better. And what I mean by that is TCU went to the national title – with a roster that was 85% there the year before when they missed a bowl game. And obviously, Sonny Dykes did not have a lot to do with some of that when it comes to the fact that, you know, he didn't have to do with the first three years of Max Duggan's development. He didn't have to do with Quentin Johnson, you know, getting X snaps as a freshman and being really seasoned as a junior. Kendra Miller getting to run behind Zach Evans. He didn't have a part in all that. But I do know that there were nine guys on offense this year that had career years. And, you know, the guys that were a huge part of that are, are coming back when it comes to guys like Garrett Riley, when it comes to guys like Malcolm Kelly, Doug, Doug Meacham, and, of course, Sonny Dykes. And so you're right. The expectation shouldn't be to keep humming at that level. But when I think about, one, guys who are returning, especially on offense, I think about Jordan Hudson. I think about Savion Williams. I think about Imani Bailey. Obviously, if Trey Sanders from Alabama is able to stay healthy, Chandler Morris and, you know, potentially a quarterback from the portal. What we do know about this TCU coaching staff is is they now have a year of track record of getting the most out of guys. And so I think it will be interesting to see Dykes a, a year removed from kind of this roster he just inherited. But I do expect guys to, to, to kind of level up under this coaching staff. And, and so that will be interesting to see kind of how that manifests. Um, especially with not only a year with losing talent, but I think there will also be extra weight on TCU's back this year. Teams are going to hit them a little bit harder, and and that's scary too, especially when it comes to late game, one-score game situations. Yeah, targets on your back now. Uh, I think that 84% stat you threw out is both a compliment to former head coach Gary Patterson and an indictment 
on the former head coach, uh, yeah. Gary Patterson, as well. Uh, you could, if you could take the positives, you got to take the lumps as well. Uh, one thing I noticed, Colin, uh, are you are you famous now? Uh, you apparently have a photo somewhere that exists out there with Nick Saban, uh, Kirk Herbstreit, and uh, a large number of Disney uh, investors. Is that what I understand? Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, what for any listeners that hadn't maybe seen my tweet, I, I, uh, at the national championship game ran into a group talking to Nick Saban and kind of joined it for a photo later realized, uh, and was told that that was a group of potential Disney investors who Saban was trying to convince on, on ESPN's behalf to donate and, uh, and become an investor. And there's a picture out there that was initiated, um, by Saban. Uh, of me with a bunch of multimillionaires. I, I literally have a couple hundred dollars in my bank account right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not famous, but I've tried really hard. Uh, I've tweeted it out and tagged. Reese Davis was the guy that kind of initiated the photo uh, from ESPN. So I doubt he'll see it. But if for some reason he did, that would be hilarious to get that photo. And uh, honestly, just such a cool experience to be amongst so many stars, even given the blowout. It, w- it was really awesome. Colin Post uh, noted two two four seven uh, <laughs> TCU journalist and Disney investor. Uh, Colin, we got you here. You you do will be doing a lot for two four seven when it comes to basketball season. So I would be remiss if we didn't have a little bit of basketball talk. We've got a an interesting conversation coming up here in a minute. But before that, TCU this season. I mean, there were high expectations for the Horn Frogs on the hardwood this year after their performance in March Madness last year, taking Arizona all the way down and probably should uh, probably should have beaten them. Uh, yep, the past is the past. We move on. It has been a, I think, a solid season for TCU so far, but they still seem to almost be flying under the radar uh, in the Big Twelve, even not just nationally, but in the Big Twelve, because they are not the storyline that Iowa State and Kansas State are at the moment. But I mean, right. how do you kind of evaluate? TCU and this Horn Frog team at this particular moment. Yeah, I think there are there are a lot of pros and then a couple of cons. I'll start with the cons. One, this team has not been able to shoot near as well as they were hoping this year. And don't get me wrong, we have known that shooting the three was just not something TCU as a program outside of Desmond Bain has done very well in the last five or so years and really under Dixon at all, but especially not recently. But we were really hoping that this team would be able to shoot a little bit better. And I think I, I don't mean to put a guy under the under the fire, but I think a guy like a super senior and Chuck O'Bannon was really supposed to be leading the way that year. And he's only shooting thirty two percent from three right now. Only four guys on the entire roster are even shooting above thirty percent at all with the only one shooting anywhere near to anything important is Emmanuel Miller, who's shooting an impressive 48%, but he only has a, a little over a take a game. So, uh, you know, Miles is at 32%, Ball is at 35%. So uh, just that has been really hard because on the bright side, TCU leads the nation with 21.7 fast break points per game. They're the fastest team in the Big 12, probably the fastest most athletic team in the country when it comes to fast break offense. But they rely on that. And what was hard against Iowa State is midway through that game, early parts in the second half, TCU was being stifled when it came to the fast break because Iowa State's super physical and fast as well. And so because of that, they were having to run in the half-court offense, and it just was not working. And so I think the bright side of that is TCU is 13-2 and with two ranked wins, and their best player is playing the best basketball of his life. 
And I think they have a, a ton of room to grow. And so what's cool about that is I think this team is a lot of far ahead of what they were at this point last year. And so a lot of people want to say, you know, you know, they started out 14, Rothstein had them in the top 10, lost Northwestern State this season's already not what you expected. I disagree. I think this team is far ahead of what they were at this point last year. It's just not quite as good as people would have hoped based on preseason hype. Uh, but I think they have a lot of room to grow. And and the three-point shooting might not come, but I think some of the half-court offense development might come. Other guys might get their legs under them. And I think I still expect TCU to finish at worst fourth or fifth, but as high as third or second in this Big 12 and, and be able to make another tournament run. You mentioned Mike Miles. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about him here in just a second. Brand new for the 2022 season, it's the RVK. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Jeremy, JN, Fiend Phoenix, and me, Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys. All right, joining us now, he is the leader of the Boneheads. That is our good friend Scott Abasco's boys, uh, part of the 1012 Network. We just we just like to keep it in the family, even if they're no longer here like Colin is. I'm just going to keep poking that bear until he's like, all right, I'm coming back. Uh, Freaking Colin, come back so we can uh, we can be buddies. <laughs> you know, we need a TCU pod, bud. So I'm just I'm just going to let that I'm just going to let that lie out there in the open. And if you feel like picking it up and, and taking it to the hoop, you're welcome to do so. Um, what I want to do today is because I had Colin on, because I can get Scott on at, at a moment's notice, is have a little debate, a little conversation. I'd like to do this throughout the season if I possibly can, uh, with a little bit of an early, let's say, Big 12 player of the year chat between two particular players, one uh, on each of the two teams that these uh, fine gentlemen represent. Of course, that would be Mike Miles for TCU, who uh, Connell will be in his corner. And for Kansas State, for Scott here, that would be Marquise Noel, who has been putting up, I mean, I let's just let's just say this here for a second. Okay, last five games, mm. 24.2 points per game, 10.2 assists, 51% field goal percentage, 50% from three. He is the only player in the last 25 years across all of D1 to post a five-game stretch of at least 20 points per game, 10 assists, 50% from the four, and 50% from three. Meanwhile, we have Mike Miles, who I don't think anybody in the Big 12 is as important to their team's success moving forward. I'm not saying that, obviously, Noel is a huge impact on Kansas State, but I don't think there's any one player who's more important to their team than Mike Miles is to TCU. So what we are going to do here today, and for Kansas fans who are listening, understand, I can't, I'm not going to do some like three-way debate between this. So at some point we will do this conversation between Jalen Wilson and uh, and someone else as well. But Jalen Wilson is going to be set aside, even though I do believe he is absolutely a part of this race. But today we're talking Mike Miles and we're talking Marquise Noel. So boys, um, I'll try and kind of organize this fight as best as I can. Uh, for round one, <laughs> I mean, I said so many beautiful things about him. Scott, you you are the the newest member of this conversation. Why is at this point Marquise Noel the front runner for Big 12 player of the year. Yeah, so if you're starting open-ended and you're just saying, all right, Marquise Noel, 
versus the world. You're not just trying to make this, you know, a one versus two matchup. You you talked about the stats just right there. The current run he is having to start Big 12 play is stuff that has been done once or twice in the history of college basketball. And one of those guys was Steph Curry. And if you look at the team Steph Curry was doing it versus, and then you compare it to Marquise Noel versus, at the time, three top 25 uh, AP poll teams. Again, you know, that's a ever-moving target. Uh, and then, again, versus an Oklahoma State team, at least on offense, field goal percentage-wise, the best defense in the Big 12. It is insane. And it's not just scoring the ball. He is on pace to set the new Big 12 record for assists per game. Now, anything can happen down the stretch. You know, we're only four games. K-State is only four games into the Big 12 season. Anything can change. A lot of season in front of you. But the only thing that's going to stop Marquise Noel at this rate from breaking the Big 12 assist record is how deep they go in the Big 12 tournament or the NCAA tournament. Not only is Marquise Noel doing all of this stuff, unprecedented stuff, scoring the ball and assisting the ball uh, during this run of time. But he also is the reigning member of the all Big 12 defensive team. So he does it on both sides of the floor. He had a game where he had seven steals in one game earlier this season. And again, this is an entirely new regime, new head coach, the only two members of the staff that was carrying over was someone who really worked on the administrative side of things and one GA. Then he only has one teammate. So not only is he doing all this stuff, statistically stuff that we have never seen in the Big 12, but he's doing it with a brand new set of teammates, brand new set of coaches, and K-State was picked to be the worst team in the Big 12. So again, he's also elevating K-State beyond any expectation that anyone had, even the most diehard fans. Now you lay that all out, I have a hard time seeing anyone besides Marquise Noel being the Big 12 Player of the Year at this point in the season. I'm not going to make the same mistake I did during the Aoka lead debate last year where I declared it over already. And then things kind of got a little uh, got a little slow towards the end of the year. So I will preface by saying all of that is as we are sitting right here in the season today. To anybody who heard Scott's claim about the single season assist all-time record, that is currently held by... Uh, single season, Oklahoma sorry. Single season, yes. It's currently full, held by former Oklahoma State point guard Doug Gottlieb, who had 299 assists in the 1998-1999 season. He's also in second with 293 in the 1999-2000 season. Uh, if, if Marquise Noel were to continue his current trend of 8.8 assists a game over the just regular season, over the last 15 games of the regular season, we're not going to talk about postseason right now, just the last, that would bring his total to 272 assists. So he's got, he's on pace. We're going to go with the on pace. It's still early, but we're going to go with on pace. All right, Colin. Time to come out of your corner and start throwing some jabs and explain to me why Mike Miles should be the number one front runner for the Big 12 Player of the Year as of today. Yeah, first of all, I just want to give props to Noel. I mean, goodness, what he's done, I agree. Given circumstances as far as expectations, given where he's come from, his basketball journey, 
Kansas State, to me, is the most awesome story in college basketball right now. So just want to give him his flowers. I do not agree as far as who's the best player in the Big 12. I think as far as awards go, you could probably – you'd probably have to hand it to Noel if it was given right now. But I still think Miles is right there when it comes to season-wise, and I think there are a couple of reasons. One, averaging 20 points a game in college basketball is just rare in general. But if you look at the last 10 Big 12 players of the year, it's been very rare. Trey Young, one of the only people to even – to do that. Obviously, Abaji, you know, being another outlier as well. But so Mike being at 19.8 points per game right now, and I still don't think he's fully found his rhythm when it comes to shooting the three yet either. So if he was able to finish at 20 points per game, that would just be otherworldly. And I, I don't even know the last TCU player, probably Kurt Thomas – uh, in, the, in the 90s to do that. Desmond Bain never did. So, one, I think ha- he has the scoring advantage, too. And I think something he really has over Noel is Mike Miles is shooting 53% from the field right now. For And for a college basketball player to be shooting that well, who's not a big man, is super and super impressive. So I don't mean to diss Noel, but shooting, you know, 12% higher from the field is super, super impressive. I think Noel makes that up at the free throw line, which is super impressive how efficient he is from the line. He has that over Miles for sure, but I think that is super important note is how efficient Miles has been. Another thing that's important is that's a 12% increase for Miles when it comes to his career. And so a guy who came in with more pressure than anyone in the Big 12 this year has come in and said, I'll raise you one. I'm going to shoot 10 plus percent better and average 20 point 20 points per game. And then on top of that, when you think about TCU's nation leading fast break points per game, that's because of miles. I mean, he's when it comes to in the open floor, he may not be the fastest straight up player in the big draw. I'd say someone like Noel probably is even a little faster, but he's shiftier and he's harder to guard. He can finish from everywhere. He has a Kyrie Irving-like ability to finish in the open floor. And you saw against Baylor and Waco, I mean, Baylor had no answer. And so Mike Miles, like you said earlier, Philip, really is TCU's entire offense. And to me, that's the biggest difference when it comes to this argument is that, yes, Marquise Noel is having an incredible year when it comes to dishing the basketball. But he has one of the best forwards, if not the best forward, in the Big 12, you argue where Jalen Wilson stands as kind of the position he plays. But Keontae Johnson's season that he's having this year has just been phenomenal. Mike Miles does not have a guy like that even close. I mean, Emmanuel Miller's only averaging 10 points a game, and I, I love you, man. But the season Keontae Johnson's having gives Noel not only an advantage when it comes to assists, just pure numbers-wise, but it allows them to stretch their offense a lot more because you have to worry about both guys. When teams play Mike Miles defensively, they're consistently putting two guys on him, and that makes his 20 points per game at 53% that much more impressive. And, and then the last thing, he's taken seven charges this year. He is leading this team not only just like as a leader, but defensively he has had huge impacts on the floor. So I, I agree that the award would probably have to go to Noel right now. I want to give him his flowers. He's amazing. I still think Mike Miles is the best player in the Big 12, and I think he's one of the best point guards in the country. That last point you made, <clears throat> not the charges, the one about uh, Keontae Johnson, I think is the biggest thing for me as far as what would, if I were to vote, I understand what 
Noel has done in Big 12 play. But for the season, if you look at Kansas State, Keontae Johnson is averaging more points per game. Keontae Johnson is averaging more rebounds. Keontae Johnson is averaging a better field goal percentage, a 57.4% for the season. And so while Marquise Noel's run through the start of conference play has been just mind-bogglingly good, for yeah. him, for me to say he's going to win Big Twelve Player of the Year, which is why we're doing this, is this is just a fun debate at this point. Like I've got to see at least something close to that remain consistent. You can have an off game; it's fine, things happen. But if I see something to that level, if we all see something to that level, remain consistent or fairly consistent throughout Big Twelve play, yeah, hands down, it's done. Now would just just give him the award, you know, two weeks early. But this is a five game stretch; we've got to see that continue. I actually think Kante Johnson has been a more consistent and reliable player than he has up to this point, which I think is a ding against Marquise Noel's player of the year, like at this moment. Yeah. So the one thing I want to point out there, and, and again, this is not to take anything away from Keontae Johnson, because again, if Marquise Noel doesn't have this truly monumental five game run, I'm on this same show having the argument for Keontae Johnson, possibly being the big 12 <laughs> player of the year. Right. But, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, I totally understand the whole idea about, you know, Mike Miles, does not have that great Robin to his Batman. Um, and, and that is completely fine. But I think the the one thing that folks need to remember when having this conversation, especially when we're talking about points per game, if you're if you want to look at points, you know, contributed, when you're averaging 8.8 assists per game, which is the number two in the entire nation, in the entire nation, not the Big 12, the entire nation. That's at if you're saying they're all, all two point assists, which they're not, but that is 17 points per game. You're also contributing to the team just in the assists. And then here's the thing: if you look at assists to turnover, so you're thinking, oh man, you know Marquise Noel doing all these, you know Showtime Lakers Harlem Globetrotter passes, which he does do. If you want to go just purely entertainment value, shooting threes from the logo, behind the back, no look passes, rocket you know, alley-oop throws. This guy isn't turning the ball over. If you look at his assist to turnover ratio, he's actually better than what Miles is doing. So again, even if Miles doesn't have anywhere near the assist, he's still turning it over at a far higher rate per assist that he's getting as well. And Marquise Noel has the best assist to turnover rating, at least going into last night's game in the entire big, no, am I wrong? I might have uh, that wrong. The way you look no, at he. Me. He's good. No, it's, okay. I'm looking at today's stats as of last night. As of today, uh, Dewan Harris's ratio is 3.4. Assisted turnovers, uh, Marquise Noel is 3.2. I will note this on his assists. Uh, the next, Noel's averaging 8.8 assists a game. The next closest is Dewan Harris for Kansas, who's a full two and a half assists behind Marquise Noel. That's yeah, Folks, and, this is we're know, talking assists, KU has not no points. one to pass it to. KU has no one to pass it to. Yeah, I mean, this isn't on. points. This is assists. Like, no, I know that's a lot. No, I, no, no. Yeah, that's a ton. Yeah. So, so again, and and then like I said, uh, Marquise Noel again, lot of a lot of season left to play, but he would one hundred percent at the end if the season ended today also be on the all defensive team. I think when you look at the complete player that Marquise Noel is. Uh, and if if you wanted to phrase this most valuable versus most outstanding, you know, you can phrase things differently. I think right now, uh, 
there are folks, it's not a runaway competition, but but I do think right now in the Big 12 season, I do think he is at least at worst 1A compared to Miles being 1B. Maybe you can throw someone from KU in there, whatever. You know, they have eight, they have eight players with them every time they're in the fog. So eight, eight guys on the floor. I'll say this. Noel to me right now is first team all big 12 point guard. That's that's hands on it. All right, uh, Colin, I'll let you have the last word here. Now that you've heard what Scott also has to say, Uh, make your final, make your final case, your, your, uh, your final blow, knock him out. Yeah. I I don't have too much more to say because I I just can't emphasize enough how impressed I really have been with, with Noel. So I don't want to act like I'm trying to take away from him. I'd say on the assist thing, I, I just think that, it is hard to compare these guys because their job is so different. Mike Miles, when I say he's one of the best point guards in the country, is like is like a Caleb Love type of like bucket getter. Marquise Noel gets buckets, but his job is to run the offense. Uh, that's what Damian Ball does for TCU. So they're very different, and so I, I think that is probably why the assist numbers are so different. If, if Miles one had a Keontae Johnson and two had a job that was that like that it wouldn't be 8.8 but it would be a lot higher than than what it is at the 3.1 right now but I just think the way that Miles given the way teams can defend them because they can clog the lane they can double team him high you know think about the way Arizona ended that game last year pinching him at half court and fouling him uh but that's how teams defend him every night. And he's averaging 20 points a game on 53% shooting. I think that is a more difficult load to carry than what Noel is doing right now. And uh, he's doing it at a really high level. So agreed. I think they're one, a one B you could argue which one, but right now they're both having great years and specifically for KSU, just one of the coolest stories in the nation right now. And it absolutely is. This has been, this is a, this is a fun season like this has been fun so far you know i'm really glad that we had this debate here today on the show considering these two teams will be facing off this saturday in fort worth yeah 11 kansas state at number 17 tcu that's going to be that's going to be a big game i'm very excited Mm -hmm. about that one at one one o'clock on espn2 i'll give you both just a, a minute uh just a quick thought ahead of that game, kind of what you're excited to see besides just what should be an, an absolute, another just absolute incredible Big 12 matchup. I think the big thing for K-State is adjusting to this life as the hunted versus the hunter. Um, you know, we saw it yesterday, uh, struggled uh, at, at times with Oklahoma State's defense. And I think early on in the first sold-out Bramlage Coliseum since the Big 12 championship season, Uh, that they I I don't think they were shell-shocked but hey they're still kind of adjusting to all right you know we're not the underdogs we're not going up against the team with the number we have the number we have the higher number as it is on Saturday and then also um, you know you you don't think this is going to happen because of how well coached they are but the fan base is already talking about what's happening next Tuesday because for better or worse whether I wish it was like this or not uh, K-State basketball will forever be in the orbit of the sun that is in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, so that takes up the energy amongst the K-State fan base. Um, and you hope that it's not permeating in, into the uh, players' minds. Uh, because if it is, K-State will get steamrolled. They will get laughed out of the building in Fort Worth. Uh, because TCU is a team that if anyone in the nation, it doesn't matter who it is playing, if they don't have the full attention uh, TCU has the potential to straight up embarrass them. 
and Miles could go off for, you know, 30, 40 points uh, if they're not locked in. And I could look like a fool this time come, you know, next week arguing for Noel over Miles if they're not focused. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to. I know K-State's fan base is uh, engaged in basketball like they have they always want to do. Uh, it's not a football-first fan base. This is a fan base that actually uh, over more time than not in the history, it's been a basketball-first fan base. So having this quality of basketball back in Manhattan, Kansas, has us all buzzing. And I just hope that uh, they're showing up to Fort Worth focus so everyone can be entertained with a high-quality game. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. I think a storyline to watch for me all year, and it applies a lot this week for TCU, is out of the 24 games TCU played once the start of Big 12 season happened last year through March, they only won two in a row three times. And they just really struggled to string together wins. They obviously lost this weekend. They're playing a really good Texas team tonight. I don't know what's going to happen. But this Saturday, all I know is they're going to need a win. And especially, I think the Big 12 is as deep as it's been, which I feel like we say that every year, but literally deep as it's ever been since I've been covering TCU this year. TCU is going to really need a win on Saturday. And I think what's interesting matchup-wise for me, we already talked about a little bit in this debate, but is the guard play because I don't expect Miles to be on Noel very often. I think Baugh is a better on-ball defender than Noel has probably seen since they've started Big 12 play. And then also, I don't know if, if whoever is going to be guarding Miles, I don't know if it's Sills, whoever. Um, I obviously don't – I don't know if they've seen a guy who can get to the rim as easily as Miles. But then on the flip side, Keontae Johnson is a mismatch for whoever's guarding him, whether it's probably Emmanuel Miller for a lot of the game. But then also I, I could see Eddie Lampkin getting switched onto him, et cetera. So a lot of weird matchups for both teams. We'll have to see who's able to exploit them more. But I co- I totally agree. This one should be really good. Very excited for that one. Should be a, a fantastic Saturday of college basketball in the Big 12. You also get Kansas, Iowa State, which is always fun. And Texas, Texas Tech, which is really interesting this year. Maybe Texas Tech might be the worst team in the Big 12. I don't know. Yeah. Guys, you have been awesome as always. Colin, appreciate it, man. I'm thrilled to see you back on the beat. Can't wait to have you back on the show some more. Uh, it just, congrats, man. I know this has been a, it's been a fun time for, for TCU fans. Yeah, thanks so much, Philip. Awesome talking with you guys and always love being on the show. And you're right, you, especially now with basketball season. I mean, it's just a really cool couple of months for TCU athletics, which was not true for a lot of the time I was at TCU. So thankful for that and really excited. TCU fans not uh, not used to not already being focused on uh, on college baseball season. Scott, as always, man, it's a pleasure to have you here on the show. Everybody make sure you're listening to Bosco's Boys. Uh, you got anything fun on the podcast schedule coming up, bud? Yeah, so I, I'll, I'm only going to tease this on here. I won't tease this to my listeners because it hasn't been recorded yet. But I think that uh, either on Tuesday, so on the day K-State plays KU, or maybe that Friday, I have an interview, hopefully, that will be broadcast with the most famous K-State football player of all time, Sean Lowe, The Bachelor. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you thought I might be going Jordy Nelson or something like that, but I I've, I've had the argument with my friends that Sean Lowe actually is the most famous, uh, player to, or per, human to ever play football for K state. So, uh, we're going back and forth in the Instagram DM. So I might have the former bachelor, uh, Sean Lowe on Bosco's boys sometime next week. So, uh, stay tuned for that one. Wow. Uh, 
I'm sorry, Scott. I'm really sorry. Uh, there is a reason we don't tease things here on the Tentoil Podcast, because as soon as you do, they fall through. That, that's why I did it on your show, because I've done that mm. on Bosco's Voice before, uh, and it didn't happen. So what I'm going to do, any bonehead, if you're not a bonehead and you're listening, you know, tough luck. Don't you're, you're not eligible. But for any bonehead who is listening to this DM at Bosco's boys and uh, just say, hey, did you get this guest? Uh, and if you do that, I will enter you in a drawing for a Bosco's boys T-shirt. So I love it. I love it. Hey. This is some this is some ten twelve networks energy right I, here. See, actually, Colin, here, you missed this. You here, missed this, no, man. no, I'll do this. I'll do this. <laughs> anyone, anyone who is listening to this point, to this point in the show, if you follow Bosco's Boys, if you follow ten twelve network, uh, what what is what's the best uh, Twitter handle for you? For trying to me? get everyone involved. No, for, for our uh, other guests, Colin. What's your uh, Colin? What's what, what what oh, what? Oh. Tw- yeah, at, at Colin with one L, P underscore three. Okay, at Colin with one L underscore P three. Colin, P underscore three. Colin, P underscore three. All right, if you're following all three of these, you DM Bosco's boys and say who we're going to have on the show, I will enter you all into a secret drawing for a Bosco's boys t-shirt. Have, have to be following all three. Wow. This is, this is synergy. Yes. This is how you grow Twitter accounts. This is wonderful. All right. Guys, you've been awesome. Scott, just to have you on more often to give free stuff away. I love it. Colin, anytime, bud. Uh, This has been cool. Podcast Network.